Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message continues the sermon series based on I Am a Church Member by Tom S. Rayner. Last week, we began by discussing how to be a functioning member, and this week, we move to being a unifying member. In order for the church to succeed in its mission, we must all work together in unison. But that's not always easy. Pastor David Cartwright outlines a few ways that we can each work on being a unifying force within our own church, starting with stopping gossip and forgiving our church brothers and sisters. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. As we come to the message today, I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to be in about three different places with the scripture, but we'll start there. Ephesians, chapter 4. We began last week a, uh, a series based on the book by Tom Rayner called I Am a Church Member. We began last week by hitting the topic of being called into um, functional body parts. Each one of us are parts of the body of Christ. If we are born again into the body, we are part of the body. We are expected to be functional parts of the body. Uh, there's, as we mentioned last week, the idea of a non-functioning part of the body of Christ is an oxymoron. It is not supported in Scripture. We move this week to the idea of being unifying body parts, the concept of unity within the body of Christ. And when we talk about the body of Christ, we, we talk about uh, congregational life, so we are talking about the body as it's formed in a congregation, but we're also talking about the body that it's formed at large, all across our community, across the world, the entire body of Christ. Does that mean that we are going to agree on every point? Of course not. Uh, we have doctrinal points of difference. We have differences in the way we understand our theology. Uh, there are cultural differences that make us unique. But as far as the, the core, the foundational aspect of our life as the body of Christ, there is a unity that is expected. It is the way that God has designed his church. So we want to get into this. By looking in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, so read with me there from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the body of Christ for us should be aspirational. It should be something to which we, uh, we aspire. It's a goal, okay? It should not be an idea that is passive for us. We should not be found to be sitting back and saying, well, if we happen to be unified in the body, that's fine, but I'm not really going to work at it. That's the wrong mentality. The writer here says to the church, 
He, he encourages us. He says I, in, in my translation, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I like how he sets the whole thing in, in the context of the fact that we are, as, as Christians, called to a higher calling. We are called to something great, that is to actually be the physical body of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. It's a high calling. And what the writer is saying is that the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we act as we live, day from one, live our life from one day to another, should be in light of that calling. It should be, the way we walk should resemble that high calling. And so that's where it starts, to, to remember this high calling that we have. In verse 2, he offers the qualities that should be present, humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another with love. I've said to you before that the, the New Testament in so many places describes for us what a Christian life looks like. It, the Bible does not leave us to just wonder what a Christian life looks like. And, and it does not allow us to just say, well, I can be a, a Christian believer and still behave however I want to. No, we can't. <laughs> not and be in accordance with Scripture. The Scripture tells us what qualities we ought to be seeing in one another. And the writer here explicitly mentions humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance because these are the qualities that are going to foster what he's talking about. It, it takes us to that high calling, and it gets us to where he goes in verse 3, where he says that we ought to be, in, in my translation, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You and I, as the body of Christ are called to be diligent to preserve, to aspire toward, and to keep the unity of the Spirit that exists in the body of Christ. It is expected to be there. We should strive for it. Most translations will use similar language, being diligent, uh, making every effort to preserve. Uh, the English Standard Version of the Bible uses a different word there. It says, being eager to preserve. And I don't think that changes the meaning terribly much, but it does kind of make it sound a little bit different in our ears. Have you ever been eager for something? When I thought about this congregation being eager, the thing that came to my mind is what often happens on Sunday mornings during, on, on some Sundays in the fall. Because there are people who will be here, and yet around 11.50 or 11.55, there's an eagerness that swells up in them because they want to get in front of their television set because the Cowboys are playing. Okay? Sometimes the eagerness even sets in earlier in the morning because they may have tickets to AT&T Stadium in their hot little hand. And so they show up for the early service with their Cowboys jersey on, okay? They're going to get their worship on before they head to Arlington. But do you understand about that eagerness? You know what it feels like to be eager for something, don't you? You think about it. 
You're, you're, you're drawn toward it. You want to see it happen. You anticipate it, okay? Now, I'm not knocking the Cowboys. If you want to watch the Cowboys play, that's fine. It's, all, it's great if you want to watch your sports team play. There's nothing wrong with that. It's simply to, to remind you what it feels like to be eager for something. And I think that's exactly what the Scripture is asking us to do. It's not only charging us to be diligent about it. That sounds kind of uh, heavy-handed, doesn't it? To be diligent about something. But in the same way, to be eager for it. To yearn for it. That we are called to yearn for the unity, the pure Holy Spirit uh, ingrained unity that comes in the body of Christ. We should desire it. It should not be something just passive. We should yearn for that kind of unity in the body. So if we yearn for it, how do we make it happen? Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of James. This is not a scripture that I mentioned. Uh, it's not on the bulletin cover, at least. But if you turn over to the book of James in, in the third chapter, there's some language there that I think is good to hear. The, the topic that I want to raise is the topic of gossip. Okay, Gossip is not something that builds unity. I hope that does not come as a surprise to you. Gossip is something that is divisive. It divides. It does not build unity. There are a handful of places in the Scripture where the, the, the idea and the word gossip is used. You can use a little word search tool and, and look those up. I would encourage you to do it. I will go ahead and tell you that no place in the Bible do you find gossip used in a positive light. It is always used as a negative thing to be avoided by the people called Christian. But I want rather for us to hear what James says once again about the tongue because we're talking about body parts and James uses the, the idea of the tongue as a body part. Uh, read with me, if you would, from verse 8. He's already he's talked about a horse that is guided by a, a bit that is put in the horse's mouth. He has talked about how a ship is moved so easily by, by a rudder. But then he says in verse 8, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. He even puts an observation at the end of it. These things ought not to be this way. In the body of Christ, there should not be a member of the body Afflicting the rest of the body. To use James's language, setting the rest of it on fire. Leading it in the wrong way. The tongue is a small member of the body. And yet it has such a great potential to do good or to do harm. 
And so often in the body it does harm. Of all the ways that we as the body of Christ inflict pain upon ourselves, by far more often it is done, done through the things we say. It starts with the things we say. If you've ever been a part of the Rotary Club or if you've been to a Rotary meeting, you are probably familiar with something that the Rotarians call the four-way test. A four-way test of the things we think, say, and do. Anybody ever heard of that? I know some of you have. The things we think, say, and do, it is, is used to, to be a filter for us to check the way we are thinking, the way we are speaking, and the way we are acting. It's interesting to me how the things we say is framed in between the things we think and the things we do. It only stands to reason because the things we say simply proceed from the way we are thinking, or Jesus would say from, from the heart. Okay? So what starts in, in the brain, in the mind, or in the heart is naturally going to flow out in the words that we say. And then just take it the next step. By the things, by, by the way we tend to speak, it only stands to reason that the way we behave is going to follow after that. The th four-way test of the things we think, say, and do. First, is it the truth? Do you think it's important that if we're going to be talking about something, we ought to make sure that it's true? I think we would all be reasonable enough to expect that. Okay? Is it true? That's the first part. Yes, we would all agree that it's important to make sure something is true if we're going to be talking about it. Unfortunately, many people just stop there. We have a tendency to say, well, if it's true, then I have carte blanche to talk about it in whatever way I want to. No, you don't. Just because something is true doesn't mean that we don't also have to ask ourselves, well, if I'm going to talk about it, how am I going to talk about it? Is it going to be good for me to say it? Possibly not. Okay? That's why we use a four-way test and not, not just a one-way test. Okay? First point, is it the truth? The next three are, <clears throat> is it fair to all concerned, will it build goodwill and better friendships, and will it be beneficial to all concerned? I hope you can see where those last three take the first one and put additional layers of filters on it, because the ultimate goal is to have, a, have something that we hold before ourselves consistently so that we can make sure that the things we are saying and the things we are doing build the body, whatever body that might be, rather than tearing it down. If we, are, if we want to do good in our community, we want to make sure that we four-way test the things we think, say, and do about things in our community. Likewise in the church. If you want to build up the body, make sure that you are saying and doing things that are 
beneficial for everybody. True, yes. Fair to all concerned. Building goodwill and better friendships. And friends, if, if, if we can't meet that test, we shouldn't be saying or doing it. It's really just that simple. Now you may be saying, well, preacher, are you saying that the Rotary Club has a higher ideal than the kingdom of God? I'm not saying that at all. The kingdom of God has the highest ideal of any. All I'm saying is that the Rotary Club may be doing a better job than the church of reminding ourselves of it. You and I, friends, are part of the body of Christ. The last thing we ought to be doing are saying things or following through on those things with our actions that hurt the body. And that is why other places in the Scripture speak so strongly about gossip. You will find the writers putting gossip in the same category as murderers and evildoers and, and all these other things that you and I would avoid with all of our effort. And they put gossip right there in that same category. It's just that serious. Saying things that divide is not good for the unity of the church. Unfortunately, from time to time, it is going to happen. Do you know why it's going to happen? Because you and I are not perfectly sanctified yet. Well, that was kind of a theological way of saying it. It's simply a way of saying that we haven't reached perfection yet. And we're still going to make mistakes. So what needs to happen when something hurtful happens in the body? Quite simply, forgiveness. Look with me in the book of Colossians. Turn back a little bit in your scripture to the New Testament book of Colossians in chapter 3. Be looking at verses 12 through 14 there. These verses resonate so well with those verses we read from Ephesians. But hear what the writer here says beginning at verse 12, Colossians chapter 3. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see how so much of that just simply repeats what the writer of Ephesians says. He goes back to our calling. You've been chosen by God. He shares once again those qualities that we ought to find amongst ourselves, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you. You see, forgiveness begins with remembering that we are forgiven people. It's amazing how humble we can become when we're willing to step back and take our eyes off of all the other situations and just behold for a little while 
the cross of Jesus Christ. When we look at that cross and we picture our Lord upon it, the one person who didn't deserve to die chose to die and took the cross for himself because of you and me. And I can picture Jesus upon the cross saying, I love you so much that I'm doing this for you because I want you to have forgiveness. And if you have forgiveness, I also want you to give forgiveness. You see, friends, forgiveness is the way that the body heals itself. Just like your physical body and my physical body knows how to heal itself. If you've ever been a parent, well, I mean, everybody personally knows what this is like, but especially if you've been a parent and you have your child, no, no, no I don't think, I shouldn't say that I know this for sure, but I don't think any parent has a child born into this world to them and looks at that child and, and expects that they will make it all the way through life without some bumps, bruises, and cuts. You just know it's going to happen, don't you? You, you hope that maybe they can avoid the, the, the serious injuries. But you know along the way the skin is going to get scraped, the, the bones are going to bit, get banged up. You know that the body is going to take some abuse. And what do you do when, when the child comes to you and you know, they have the cut and they're bleeding. You take something, you clean it. You probably put a little ointment on it to help maybe uh, avoid infection. And then you take a bandage and you put on it. And then after you wait for enough days on end, what happens to that cut? It heals, doesn't it? I don't know that any parent has ever uh, looked after the appropriate number of days and, and the wound is healed up or almost healed up and then given themselves credit for the healing that has taken place. Oh, sure, you did what you could. You, you bandaged it. You put the ointment on it. But you know who really did the healing? Well, God did through the body because God designed the body to be able to heal itself. It's like the cells in the body said, oh, hey, something here is not right. There's injury, there's brokenness, and, and the right... And types of cells rush to that place and they start doing their work and, and putting things back together. The body knows how to heal itself. And it's true also for the Christian body. The body knows how to heal itself. The scripture has told us how the body heals itself. By forgiveness. By recognizing that sometimes we mess up. Sometimes I offend even if I don't mean to. Friends, there have been more times than I would care to mention that I have had to go to somebody in the body of Christ and say those words. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, but I did. I didn't mean for you to be hurt in this, but you were. Okay? Ignoring it doesn't help. Avoiding it doesn't help. Reconciliation heals. And God has called us to that wonderful, beautiful work of being reconciled when the body is hurt.
And that's why the author asks us here to go really, in, in, and it's all an act of love. He says in verse 14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's all done out of love. But remember that in the body of Christ we are forgiven people. And if we are forgiven people, then we are also called to be forgiving people. That is how the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is maintained. The question for you and for me is a question of our intentions. Will you be a unifying part of the body of Christ? It's really just a question that can stand in contrast. Will you intentionally be a body part of the body of Christ that brings the body together? Or will you be content in being a body part that divides, that breaks down, that causes pain and harm? Which one do you intend to be? And if you intend to be a unifying part of the body, you also have to ask yourself, what will I do or what will I stop doing that will lead the body toward unity? Those are questions that every one of us should be asking of ourselves. It's just that important. In the field of medicine, there is a category of diseases called autoimmune. And I know that far too many of you are far too familiar with them because you suffer with them. Autoimmune diseases really simply are diseases where the body has turned on itself. The immune system of the body that is put there designed to fight off the things that attack the body rather than attacking those things turns and attacks the body itself. It is a sad and terrible thing to see happen when the body turns on itself. It is extremely sad to see when it happens in the body of Christ. Because when it happens in the body of Christ, it does not reflect the glory of God in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So friends, I want to ask you today, will you be a unifying part of the body of Christ? What will you do or stop doing that will lead in that direction. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have given us a beautiful thing called the church, and we are both privileged, honored, and joyful to be a part of this glorious, broken, healing, mysterious body. And Lord, you have made it clear what your body is supposed to look like. Lord, I know that I, I would have to confess that I have not always been faithful uh, to do those things that lead to unity.
And perhaps I have not been intentional enough to pursue that unity, to be eager for that unity. God, I want to change that. And I believe that there are many who would love to change that. And so I pray, God, that you would hear us as we just cry out to you in our hearts, in repentance, in hope, asking God that you would help us to help us do what may at times be terribly difficult because it's really different than the way the world often functions. But to, to be and to act, to do the things that truly build unity in the body of Christ. God, our world right now needs unity. You've placed your body right in this world that we might be the ones to give it the example. In your mercy, Lord, may we not fail in doing that. So God, accomplish it through us that your light might shine through the people called the church. For it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.